Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. As you're turning, I want to share greetings from uh, Brother Jim Price. I talked to him, I believe it was Monday or Tuesday uh, this week. They were in Manitoba, and uh, he wanted to ask me to greet the folks here. He also, uh, because they've been so busy and on the road, hadn't had a chance, but and I think he sent a letter as well, but he asked me to thank the church for the, uh, the Christmas gift uh, that we sent. Said it was a great blessing and a help. Be praying for uh, Brother Jim as they uh, continue travels and raising support. And I wanted to share that greeting with you. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 4 through 10. I'm going to talk about four proofs of God's love. Four proofs. Now... There's a whole lot more than that. I was talking with Brother Colton uh, for a few moments this afternoon. We're talking about math. Uh, that's not a that's a weird Sunday afternoon discussion, mathematics. And we're talking about uh, calculus. That's an even weirder Sunday afternoon. Amen, Brother Maud. That's a weird afternoon discussion. And I was explaining a couple things and talking about proofs. And uh, I hated proofs. I hate proving anything in mathematics because when I did math, my brain isn't wired like everybody else's brain. Your brain works and my brain doesn't work. And uh, my circuits are wired all different. And uh, I can find the answer, but I don't follow the same path you, found, you followed to get it. And uh, I used to go back and forth with my math teacher over some of my proofs. Uh, and I would say, look, is my answer right or not? Yes, but you couldn't have got the answer the way you did it. I said, look, did I get the answer right or not? And we would go back and forth, and I, I probably should have been a little more uh, submissive to her. But uh, I, I didn't like showing proofs. God likes to show proofs. And by the way, he proves every day his love for you. His mercy is new every morning. Amen. Every morning when you see the sun come up, teenagers... Did you know that that thing, the, the, the bright thing up in the sky, it actually disappears at night and it comes back up early in the morning? Uh, it's not always in the sky, but when it comes up every morning, uh, it's a reminder that he rose from the dead, a reminder of his love for us. And we, we could look at hundreds and thousands of proofs tonight, but I just in this one little passage in Ephesians chapter 2, I want to take a few moments uh, just to enjoy uh, some time together in his word, uh, just to relish in what God's done. Uh, just to praise him, just to worship him tonight. Look with me here, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, for with he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Let's pray together. Lord, my heart tonight, my desire is that we would worship you and glorify you this evening. Lord, you're worthy of our praise. Lord, we get a few glimpses into heaven you've given us in your word. 
Lord, John would have written much more if you would have allowed him, but the few glimpses that you allowed John to give us, Lord, it seems every time I see through the windows of heaven, I see worship and I see praise. And Lord, tonight I pray as you taught the disciples to pray, would you make it a little bit like heaven on earth tonight? God, would you help us to worship you a little bit tonight the way we will worship you forever in heaven. Lord, someday we will bow before the throne and cry out with the angels and cry out with the saints of God, worthy is the Lamb. But Lord, tonight you're already worthy. Lord, thank you for your great love for us. Help us tonight, Lord, to direct our worship and our praise to you as we look at these proofs of your love for us. Help me, Lord, to preach you right your truth. God, may you be glorified. In your precious name we pray. Amen. What would God have to do to prove his love for you? What would it take for us to say, I know, I know without a doubt that God loves me. And Would it take more money? Would it take better health? Would it take greater happiness in your life? More comfort? A better job? A bigger house? A newer car? What would it take? March 31st, 1995, I think it was. I think that's right, maybe 94. My wife will correct me later. That was my birthday. By the way, there's just a few shopping days left to my birthday. Be aware of that. <laughs> but my wife and I had been dating. We had our first date December 7th, maybe, or 8th. And then this is March 31st. It was a little over three and a half months later. I met her that day as I was going out to go to work. And she gave me a cupcake. It was a Otis Spunkmeyer, I think. Uh, chocolate, double chocolate, I think. Chocolate chip, chocolate cupcake. She had a candle on it. Uh, you know, she couldn't bake a cake in her room, so she bought a cupcake. And did you give me something else that day? I don't remember. I don't think so. She's a cheapskate. And uh, she gave me that cupcake <laughs> and as a birthday gift. And that day... As I was driving to work, as I got in my 1977 Ford Granada piece of garbage, and as I was going to work, me and my buddies, I looked over at the fellow who was my best friend in Bible college. His name's Jeremy. I talked to him just a couple weeks ago. It was his, it was his birthday, actually, a couple weeks ago. I looked over at him, and I said, Jeremy, I'm going to marry Carrie. I'm going to... I'm going to ask her to marry me at Christmas, and we're going to get married next summer. And he said, does she know this? I said, no, but I'm going to tell her. Now, when my wife heard that story later, she decided it must have been the cupcake. So, so girls, that's the secret. you got to give the cupcakes. But the cupcake had nothing to do with it. Too many times, all the little things that we think we want from God, they have nothing to do with God's love. 
But I want us to look tonight at some things that do have everything to do with the love of God. Everything God does, everything God does, he does for a specific purpose. He, he does nothing without cause. He does nothing without purpose. His efforts to mankind are always, if we look in the, the account of creation in Genesis, all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament, we see that God is always dealing with man to show man his love. Always. He, he, he loves us. He, he does nothing by chance. God does nothing in desperation. There's a wonderful old song, and part of that song goes, of you know, God searched through heaven looking for... God didn't search through heaven. I, I, I like the song. I, I understand the premise. Salvation was not a desperation move. God didn't have to scramble and back in the, the back. Oh, no, man, what am I going to do now? Man, sin. Where do I throw the ball? No, it was planned from eternity. It always was. God knew. So everything God does and everything God has ever done is for because he loves man. God never throws anybody away. For a little over a year now, God's put a burden on my heart. I'm going to have to do something about it pretty soon, but God's burdened me to, to do something that is pretty outside my normal wheelhouse. But I'm, I guess the Lord's going to, I'm either going to do it or God's going to kill me probably God's burdened me to write a book with that premise of don't throw them away we live in a culture today Christian culture where we give the gospel out and we try to reach people and so many churches if that person we reach is not the instant Christian that we think they ought to be if they don't look the way we think they ought to look and talk the way we think they ought to talk and do everything exactly the way we think they ought to in a couple of weeks, we want to toss them away and get started again. God doesn't do that. I love the story in the book of Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah went down to the potter's house and he looked through the window and watched the potter as he worked at the wheel. And he watched as the potter broke the vessel. But he didn't throw the clay away. He simply started again. Christian, we need to understand the love of God, that God doesn't throw you away. He doesn't throw me away. He desires to use us and to mold us and to make us. Now, does that mean that we're, I'm going to be able to do everything God has wanted me to do? There are times that because of some brokenness that I can't be all that God had wanted would want for me but that doesn't mean God throws me away I love the picture there of Jeremiah as he looks in the potter's house we look at God's love so often through what happens to us daily we look at it as wow something good happened today God loves me 
Oh, man, today was a bad day. Brother Maude fell on the stairs. Boy, it's a bad day. God must not love me. I'm a little worried. My enemy is now attacking you. We have the same enemy, the stairs. We look at, oh, this is good. Okay, I have a good day. This is bad. I've got a good day. Most of you probably know this. My family knows this for sure. If anyone asks me how I'm doing, what do I say, Rebecca? How are you? I say, I'm beautiful. Exactly. No, I'm not beautiful. But I've learned not to gauge how I'm doing according to what's happening in my life. God loves me. When I fall down the stairs, he still loves me. When I, when I disobey him, he still loves me. We look for God's love in the things that happen to us. And we say, God, why are you doing that? We question God. God answers back many times, I believe. Not audibly, but he answers back because I love you. Because I love you. I want to take just a few moments tonight, and I, I don't think I'll be lengthy this evening, but I want to share four thoughts, four proofs of God's love, and then I want to shift gears just a little bit for just a couple very small points into the message. Number one, we find this proof in our text. We're going to be looking just in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. Would you look there with me? Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, for with he loved us even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace. Are you saved? Proof number one, he quickened me. He quickened me. He made me alive. When I met Brother Bonnie ten and a half years ago, is that right? Brother Bonnie was a dead man walking. He was dead. He was lost. He grew up with a religious past, but he was lost. He believed the Bible, but he was lost. He believed who Jesus was, but he was lost. But just a little over 10 years ago, God took a dead man and he made him alive. Your testimony tonight, Christian, if you are born again, child of God, is you were dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins. But he quickens you. When I was in grade 7, I came home from school one day. I walked down the hallway of our home, down the hallway past the bathroom, past the laundry in the hallway, and in my room was on the left, my sister's room, my room. I walked out of my room. When I walked out of my room to go back down the hallway, I looked, and there in the middle of the hallway was a tennis ball. Now I'm a hillbilly. I guarantee you there was no tennis racket, brother, within 100 miles of my house. There was not a tennis ball there because I played tennis. There was a tennis ball on my floor because I had a dog, Boston Terrier. And I looked down the hallway, through the living room, into the kitchen, and laying in the kitchen floor was my dog, stone cold asleep. How many have ever heard a Boston Terrier snore? They sound worse than Pastor Rice snoring, and I'm pretty bad. He was snoring. He was out of it. And in my little juvenile 
12-year-old brain, I hatched a plan. I thought, how cool would it be to line up that tennis ball, kick the tennis ball down the hallway, hit the dog, wake him up. I mean, that's, that sounds fun, doesn't it? So that's my plan. So no shoes on in the house. You know, I ran back to kick the tennis ball, and I kicked it about three inches before you got to the tennis ball on the ground. My big toe snapped in half. The bone broke, and the bone went through the toenail. Blood began to forcefully... Colton, you having, you having trouble yet? I know it's... He's, a, he's very visionary when he hears. Blood is spraying, and I began to scream. My loving mother, she's probably watching still, uh, she yelled at me to be quiet. She might have even said a, a real foul word like, shut up. I don't know what she said, but she's, what's wrong with you? Be quiet. What are you screaming about? My dad was on the roof of our house. He was working on fixing the roof on the back porch. My dad heard my scream through the roof. And he knew something was horribly wrong. My dad jumped off the roof. I don't mean he took the ladder. He jumped off the roof, came in the house, came in, and there I am. Blood squirting. They took me to the hospital. They had to kind of almost kind of set my toe a bit. And they had to cut the rest of the toenail off. And then they had to stitch because the bone went through the toe. They had to stitch the quick, what we call the, the meat underneath the nail. They had to put stitches across that. Now, there's a reason they call that quick. There, there's no doubt. There's some feeling there. And I remember that my dad holding me down, the nurses holding me down, and that was just to get the needle near me, Brother Maud. I hate needles. And they're stitching that quick. It's very much alive. You and I were dead, in Christ, dead without Christ. But he made us very much alive. How do I know God loves me? A lot of reasons, but I can look here in this passage and tell you tonight that God loves me because he quickened me. He made me alive. He gave me spiritual life. He's quickened us in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. Letter E there, he quickened us in Christ Jesus. It's an expression of his mercy and his love towards us. In verse 4, we were dead in sins. In verse 5, we were hell bound. Ephesians 2, 1 says, and you. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We've been made alive. I like the way Matthew Henry says it. Matthew Henry, uh, commentator of years gone by. Matthew Henry said, grace is the soul. Grace in the soul is a new life in the soul. As death locks up the senses, seals up all the powers and faculties, so does the state of sin. As to anything that is good, grace unlocks and opens all and enlarges the soul. Observe, a regenerate sinner becomes a living soul. Praise God for that. 
He lives a life of sanctification, being born of God. He lives in the sense of the law, being delivered from the guilt of sin by pardoning and justifying grace. He hath quickened us together with Christ. Our spiritual life, Mr. Henry said, our spiritual life results from our union with Christ. It is in Him that we live. As Jesus said, because I live, He shall live also. How do I know He loves me? From this passage, because He made me alive. He gave you life. He gave you spiritual life. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. How can we question the love of God? When He said, I love you this much. Oh, I wanted more, God. He gave you everything. He gave everything that you and I might be alive. That we might have life eternal. Greater love hath no man than this, the Bible says in John 15. That a man lay down his life for his friends. Romans 5, 8, but God, and I love this verse, probably one of my top Ten favorite verses in the Bible. But God committeth his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not while I was getting better. Not once I became spiritual. Not once I cleaned up my life. But while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for us. I didn't have to improve myself. Matter of fact, it wouldn't have made a difference if I did. I didn't have to prove to him I was lovable. Why? I'm not lovable. He decided to love me. He loved me as I was. He died for the ungodly. By the way, he died for those that we wouldn't die for. When you think of the, the most evil and vile people in our world and in the past, we think of people like Timothy McVeigh. Became popular this last year. And uh, pop culture. Can I tell you that as wicked and vile as the crimes that Mr. McVeigh committed. He, I'm sorry, Mr. Dahmer and Mr. Mr. McVeigh bombing the tower. Uh, Mr. Dahmer, who I was thinking of, who killed and ate people and stored body parts, as wicked as all that was. God said, I, I'm, I want to make available to him salvation. Had he trusted Christ? Charles Manson. The vilest person you can think of in the world that we go, oh, that, pff, that's wicked. You know what God says? I love them. I love them. He wants to make them whole. He wants to quicken them. We live in a system that knows nothing of love. We know a perverted understanding of love. But I want to assure you tonight that God loves you. And he doesn't love you because he wants to get something from you. He doesn't love you because he, he's, he's trying to uh, earn something. He just loves you. And his love isn't temporary, it's everlasting. It's forever and forever and forever and forever. How many of you have ever eaten something that you love so much, you ate so much of it, it made you sick and you didn't want to eat it again? You ever been there? What was it, Josh? My food? <laughs> well, as a boy, I, I like sauerkraut. How many of you like sauerkraut? We made sauerkraut when I was a boy. I like sauerkraut. 
I think sauerkraut's awesome, Brother Mike. It's good stuff. I still like it. But as a young boy, about nine years old, I decided to eat a whole jar of sauerkraut. And I ate a whole jar of sauerkraut. I should have good gut bacteria the rest of my life, Brother Krim. I was sick. I was real sick. I mean sick, sick, sick. I didn't want to eat sauerkraut for a long time. God never gets sick of you. He loves us with an everlasting love. For Sean 4, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, dwelleth God dwelleth with him, and he and God. And we know and believe the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. God's proven his love through the Son, Jesus Christ. Number two. The number two proof we find here in this passage quickly tonight. Which we find in verse 6. And he hath raised us up together and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Proof number two tonight. He raised me up. He raised me up. He raised you up. You know, remember when Jesus Christ was nailed to that cross, all of my sin, all of your guilt and my guilt and your sin and my sin was placed on Him. All of it. I don't believe for one second that Jesus made a limited atonement. Those that would try to pervert the gospel to say that Jesus only died for a certain portion of sin. Can I tell you that if that were true, then Jesus Christ is a liar. And we ought to burn this book. Because he said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If the Bible doesn't mean that, if, if it doesn't mean everybody, if there's someone who, no, he didn't die for your sin, he died for yours and not for yours, then God's a liar. And he's a charlatan, and he can't be trusted. Rather, he died for all. He bore all sin, every bit of it, all of sin. It was, it was on him on the cross. It was, hold on, when he came off of that cross, was buried with him, was buried with him. I remember, I believe it was my grandmother's funeral, my dad's mom that I preached back in 90, it was 98. My wife and I have been married a few years. I think my memory's right. I remember at the funeral, my, my cousins, I remember them all taking a note and folding that note up, placing that note in the casket. To be buried with her. Can I tell you when Jesus was placed in that tomb. Your sin was placed there with him. The sin that he bore on Calvary. He took to the tomb. So pastor what's the big deal about that? What's the big deal about Jesus. Taking my sin to the tomb. Because he didn't stay there. He rose again. He, 
he rose again, meaning that sin was put ever behind him. In the book of Psalm chapter 103, verse 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dwelt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are but dust. Look at verse 6 again in our text. It says, And hath raised us up together, and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice that phrase, hath raised us up together. Can I tell you those that know the English language better than I do will tell you that that phrase there uh, is something that is past tense. Not he's going to, but he already did. He hath raised us up. So preacher, when did that happen? When did he raise me up? Three days and three nights after they placed the body of our lovely Lord on the ground, when he rose again, you were raised with him. I was raised with him. He was raised incorruptible. Guess what, Christian? I was raised incorruptible in him. I know he loves me. I see the proof of his love. He, he quickened me. He made me alive. He raised me up with him. If you will, I was nailed to that cross with him. I was buried with him. I was risen with him. He brought within the redemption our new creation. I'm not just saved from hell. And I praise God I'm saved from hell. I'm glad I'm not going to hell. But can I tell you, can I tell you tonight that salvation is not just fire insurance from hell. I, I'm glad that I, there's no chance that I can go to hell. I had, I had two people yesterday tell me to go to hell. Brother Mud, I had one person tell me to do things that were physically impossible. I had, had some very rude people yesterday. But two different people told me to go to hell yesterday. That was their words. Now, I didn't say it. I, 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 here's what I said. I said, God bless you. <laughs> that was my answer as I was trying to get my gospel track. But what I wanted to say was I couldn't go to hell if I wanted to. Amen. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry you want me to go there, but I can't go. I, I have, I'm saved from hell, but I am saved to heaven. I am raised up. And Christian, let's not forget what we have. Let's worship him. Let's praise him for what he's done as we see his love. I'm made alive. I am risen with him. What a wonderful thing. He's forgiven me. He's pardoned me. He's regenerated me. He's adopted me. He's cleansed me. He's given me a home in heaven. He, he's with me. He's never leave me, never forsake me. And one day he's going to come back and say, Hey, come up here. And I'm going. How wonderful. I'm risen with him. All of this is done in Christ Jesus. So here's the question. Why do we live like we're part of this world? Why do we live like the people of earth? When Carrie was giving birth to Rebecca, it was a very 
very traumatic experience. It was very difficult. It was very dangerous few moments. The doctor came, tried one last procedure, and she told me, she said, Mr. Rice, if this doesn't work right here, right now, on this bed in this room, I am doing emergency cesarean section. It was some tense moments. I, I deal with tense moments with humor. Maybe you've understood that about me. But our doctor, she walked in and she had this, you'd almost thought COVID was in the air. She had a mask on. She had this plastic shield on. She had rubber gloves on. She had her hands up like this. And she was a, I can't remember what nationality she was, maybe East Indian, I think, lady, little lady. She came in and she looked like some kind of alien creature because of all the stuff she had on. And she walked in like this. And uh, quietly to the two nurses that were with me, I said, take me to your leader. Uh, they thought it was funny. She didn't think it was funny at all. Uh, Rebecca thought it was funny. She was laughing in the womb, but they didn't think it was funny. <laughs> Carrie was punching me. But Now, we joke about, you know, oh, not of this world, you know, something extraterrestrial. I think they've been shooting down on UFOs here the last couple weeks. Anyway, you and I, we're not of this world. We are not terrestrial. We are extraterrestrial. We belong to heaven. I've already been raised up in him. There's no reason for me to live like I belong. I, I, I've been made an heir of God, joint heirs with Christ. Eternity is my time frame. So many things we could go into tonight, but we see the love of God in him raising us up. Number three here in our text. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 2. Then in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Number 3 tonight, we see here that he shows grace. He shows kindness. Now, if... I'll let Brother Eric be God tonight. His wife would never hear the end of it if he got to be God. But if Brother Eric were God, and somebody came up and smacked him in the face. I mean, just pop! Brother Eric's a mild-mannered, genteel gentleman. But I have a feeling if you pop Brother Eric in the face one too many times, he's not going to show grace and kindness. There's going to be a point, like, like Popeye. How many of you remember Popeye? Uh, but Mark, you said your dad said Popeye was your favorite. That was my favorite cartoon as a kid. Popeye's chicken. <laughs> That's my favorite chicken now. But Popeye was my favorite cartoon as a kid. And Popeye had the phrase... I've stood all I could stand, and I can't stand no more. And he'd be pushed just to the edge until finally he was ready to fight. Let's just be real honest. If you were God and you had to deal with you, there would come a point. The point would have come a long time ago where I would have said, Brian Rice, you're done. And yet God shows me grace. He shows me kindness. Amen. What is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. 
Grace, getting something good I do not deserve. Kindness, why? Not because of who you are, but because of who he is. How wonderful here. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Not just here. Here's a little bit of grace. The exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Here we see his love for the present and all for the future. It's not I want to give you something now, but not later. He wants to give us all throughout our relationship with him and through all eternity grace, kindness. God shows his love every day. Every day. It is of his mercies that we are not consumed. Mr. Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, that preached during the Great Awakening. Mr. Edwards, who typed out or wrote down, not typed, he, he wrote down his messages. He was very poor of seeing. He would write his messages out word for word. He was not an orator. He was not a great public speaker. He would write out word for word his message. And it's said of Mr. Edwards that he would bend his head where he was face to face. Probably, probably have macular degeneration, some sort of vision problem. And she would get very close to his notes and he would read them. It's said in a monotone voice, Brother Mon. It wasn't about the preaching of Jonathan Edwards. It was about the Holy Spirit of God that led Mr. Edwards to preach the Holy Book of God. And as Mr. Edwards would preach his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, people, not at the invitation, during the service, sinners would crawl on their hands and knees to the altar, begging God to save them. But in his message, he said that we are as a sinner, we are but held by the very spider thread above the very pit of hell. At any moment, could be plunged headlong. Can I tell you, that's where I was. But that's not where I am. Now I have His grace. Now I have His kindness. How wonderful that is. How wonderful that we have the proof of his love. By the way, that grace and kindness speaks of safety. Speaks of assurance. I've been in some dangerous places. I've been in some places that were very, very dangerous. I joke with people once in a while, some of the worst parts of Edmonton. I've been in playgrounds that were more dangerous than Edmonton. I, I've, I've been in some scary situations. I've been in some dangerous situations. But those times I've been in dangerous situations, it was because and while I was sharing the gospel. And I'll be real honest with you, there's never been a time when I've been in a dangerous place sharing the gospel when I've been fearful. Probably because I'm just a, a dummy. But I, I just knew I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> The Lord knows. If he wants me here, then I'm supposed to be here. I remember going in a building, and as I went to go in the building, the police in the police station at the bottom of the building looked at me and said, don't go in here. If you go in that elevator and you do not come back, Chicago police, they told me, we will not come look for you. 
We don't care what happens to you after you go in that door. We're not coming up there. Just so you know, you're on your own. That's not good. Why? Because I like dangerous situations? No, because I needed to share the gospel in that building. Can I tell you that God's grace and kindness are enough? Does that mean that I'm always going to be safe? No. But it means I'll always be where God wants me to be. I'll always be in his will as long as I trust him. By the way, Peter, when he was crucified upside down, he was in God's hand. So, but pastor, hold on a minute. That's pretty dangerous. That, that's not a good thing. He glorified God even in death. We get so hung up on our perceived safety and our perceived enjoyment of life that we forget that it's about God's glory, God's blessing. We see his kindness. We see his grace. The Bible says in Jude, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. By the way, let me, let me stop here just a moment. This isn't the message. But just in case there's anybody here that's struggling with this understanding of eternal security, if you think that you can lose your salvation, then you think God is not able. The Bible tells us right here he's able. Now, what does it say about God if he's able to keep you and he doesn't? Either he's a liar or he's evil. True? One of those things has to be true. So for me to believe, I'd have to throw away so many doctrines, but for me to believe that I could lose my salvation, I've got to either accept that God is evil or God is a liar. That's it. There, there, there's, you can't rectify it any other way. He's able. He's able to keep me from falling, to present me faultless before the presence of glory with exceeding joy. Jude 25, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Number four, lastly tonight, verse number 10 in our text, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto Good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Number four tonight is we see the next proof of God's love for us. He created you. Not only did he create you, but he created you for good works. Good works. For good works. I, I, I love this thought. And number one, we're his workmanship. We're his workmanship. I haven't for years, but years ago I used to build, I used to do some bowyering. How many of you know what bowyering is? Brother Darren's done some bowyering. Uh, I, I used to build longbows. And I several years ago now, probably 16, 17, 18, 19, maybe 19 years ago, I decided to build one for my dad. 
and I didn't use fiberglass. I used God's fiberglass. How many of you know what God's fiberglass is? Bamboo. And I, I did a tri-lamb bow, and I built it out of the front of the bow, the side when you pull the bow, the side people see facing away from you was raw bamboo. And then two other laminations glued together in a coal and a form. And uh, after I glued it into the shape I wanted, then I, I cut it down to shape and profiled and sanded. And I finished that bow. I created it. I crafted it. I wrote, I think, on the top bottom limb or top limb, I can't remember, facing the person holding the bow, Two letters inside of quotation marks. A P and an A. How many of you know what that stands for? Paul. That's what I call my dad most of the time. I call him Paul. One time we were out soul winning together 20 years ago in a church van in West Virginia. And I said something. I called my dad Paul. And as I got out, one of the men said, Marcus, I... Is your first name Paul? I always thought your first name was Marcus. Uh, but I wrote Paul on that bow. I, I created it. It was crafted by me. It was a gift I gave to my dad. Now, most likely that bow will never be worth millions of dollars uh, because I'm not a sought-after bowyer. I'm not a well-known crafter of bows. Because I made it has no intrinsic value to anyone else except my dad. However, there are some things in this world that are much more valuable because who made them? Many years ago, I was sent a gift from a man that I never, I've still never met. A man that I had helped with something I met online and he decided to send me a gift. He was driving through the area where I grew up, and general area, probably within 10 miles as the crow flies across the river from where my family live. And he stopped in a little country store, little everything store, gas station. Uh, as Lois knows what I'm talking about, little general store of everything. They don't exist much up here, but little place, probably half the size of this building inside. And just a little bit of everything, you go in, you can get a few things, and that's it. In the back of the building, there was a, a little wood-burning stove, a little pot-belly stove, and some chairs where you go and sit and play checkers, that kind of place down south. Most of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But anyway, they, there in that area near the wood-burning stove and the checkers, there was an old tub. I think it was an old uh, bin of some kind, maybe a vegetable bin, maybe an old barrel, actually, come to think of it, he told me, but there's a bunch of just old things in there, and there was an old knife, an old hunting knife, and this guy saw that old hunting knife in this little general store in this little town near where he knew that I was from that area, and he thought, I want to do something nice to pay him back. He paid a few bucks, maybe 20, 30, maybe 50 bucks, I don't remember, he bought this old knife. It was in a ratty sheath that was falling apart. The knife was pitted and old. And he sent it to me as a gift, and I, I was overwhelmed. That's really neat. That's really awesome, really cool old knife. And thanks to the wonders of the Internet and the interwebs, I began to look, and there was a name on the knife. The name was Morseth. 
I began to Google Mr. Morseth. I began to look for the knives that he created that looked like that. And I began to learn something that caused me to message that man and say, Sir, I cannot accept this gift. I, I need to mail it back to you. I realized that that knife, although it was rough and although it was a little ugly and although the sheath was falling apart, it was very valuable. Not because of its condition. It was very valuable because who made it. And I told the man, I said, sir, I'm sending this back to you. I said, I can't accept this gift. It's worth a lot of money. And he said, if you mail it back to me, I'm going to send it back up. He said, I bought it for you. I only paid whatever it was for it. He said, it's yours. And I told him, I said, sir, I'm not going to sell it. I said, I'll keep it uh, as a reminder of your love and you know, appreciation, the gift he sent me. Several years later, a friend who's a custom knife maker stole it from my house and made it look brand new again, and his wife made a custom sheath for it. That didn't add value to the knife, but the value, as far as the world's concerned for that knife, is because of the man, the famous man that made it. That's its value. Christian, can I tell you your value? You were created by him. The master. The master made you. The creator of all things. I have his love because he signed me. His signature. He made me. He made you in his image. I was made by God. I was his workmanship. I've been created in Christ Jesus. And notice the phraseology here in Ephesians 2. Unto good works. Created, by the way, means you didn't just happen. It was purposed. It was planned. I was created in Christ for a specific purpose. I need to find out what that is. Ephesians 4.11 in our text, or just a few verses away, a couple chapters away, says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. God has something for you. He made you. Your worth is because of him, not because of you. These good works we have mentioned here have been preordained or foreordained by God. Titus chapter 3 and verse 8 says, this is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. I want to make a statement. If you have a pen, I encourage you to write it down. I believe a, a powerful statement about this truth. Notice in our text here, we were created, Christian, you and I were created to walk in these good works. Don't miss that. You and I were created to walk in these good works. So, listen to this statement. They await your doing. God created you to walk in those works. 
Can I tell you that they're waiting on you? They await you to do them. They await me to do them. By the way, when I do obey the Lord Jesus Christ, when I follow Him, when I honor Him in my life, I am realizing every step, every work, everything I do is a reminder, God loves me. God loves me. I've got a dear friend who got saved out of serious alcoholism and drunkenness and drugs and horrible, horrible life. Him and his wife, before they got saved, they used to get high on drugs and get angry at each other and shoot at each other with pistols in the house. And I don't mean they were pretending. I mean, they were trying to kill each other. But they would get so high on drugs that amazingly God spared them. They didn't. Several times they tried to kill each other. Somewhere tonight, Brother Hicks is standing behind the pulpit like this, preaching the word of God as an evangelist in the southern U.S. Every time he opens the Bible and lays on the pulpit, it's a reminder. He used to be laying down lines of cocaine. He used to be laying down empty beer bottle after empty beer bottle. He used to be picking up the pistol and trying to kill his dear wife. Praise the Lord. God created him and ordained him to walk in good works. It's a reminder, Christian. I give that example because it's easy for you to see and, and see the difference. But I hope tonight you understand that the difference is in you as well. It's in you as well. So, Pastor, I, I was never a drunkard. I, I was never a drug addict. I never tried to kill my wife. Well, maybe I tried to kill my wife. But I, I, I didn't do those things. Remember, you were dead in trespasses and sins. He made you alive. He didn't just make you alive to make you a scarecrow to do nothing. God made you alive unto good works. And they're waiting for you to do them. Just a couple of thoughts as we close here tonight. How do we walk in good works? How do we walk in good works? Very, very quickly. By showing gratitude for redemption. By showing gratitude for redemption. Giving him praise for what he's done for us. For dying on the cross. For giving our sin. Placing us in the heavenlies. What if you were unsaved on your way to hell tonight? That's where you'd be without Jesus Christ. How do we walk in good works? By showing gratitude for redemption. Next, number two, by surrendering to sanctification. By surrendering to sanctification. I shared the story of my big toe breaking in half. They had to stitch it up. I didn't want them to stitch it up. I didn't want to surrender to have it stitched up. My dad and a bunch of nurses had to hold me down so they could stick needles in me and then they could sew me up. But it needed to be done. It had to be done. You and I need to surrender to letting God set us apart and sanctify us for his purpose. 
to the growth process. First Peter or Second Peter chapter one verse five. I'm not going to turn there tonight, but virtue, on knowledge, on temperance, on patience, on godliness, on brotherly kindness, on love. We need to surrender to that process. Number three, how do we walk in good works? I'm going to close with this thought tonight. By serving. By serving in all areas of good works. What is it God wants you to do? Not what is it God wants the pastor to do. Not what is it God wants your spouse to do or your your child to do or, or Brother Colton to do. What's God want you to do? Hey, teenager, what's God want you to do? Oh, I'm just a teenager. <coughs> David, a teenager, walked down in the valley of Elam and said, you will not defy my God. He affected his whole country. His whole country. Young married couple, what's God want you to do? Older couple here tonight, maybe your kids are grown. What's God want you to do? What is it God wants you to do? Has he set something aside that he said, okay, I've got some works for you to do. At least once a week, sometimes a couple times a week, Colton and I will sit in my office, our office now, And I'll say to Colton, hey, here's some things I want you to do this week. He'll pull out a notebook. Okay. I'd like to get this, 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 and this done. Here you go. Now, I may ask him, hey, did we get that done? Is that, but that's not my work. That's his work. I believe God has work for you. He has good works for us. He's got them set aside. He created you unto good works. When God calls, just like little Samuel, the day's gone by. Won't you answer? What do you want, Lord? Okay. You know why you don't want to answer? Because you don't want to do what God wants you to do. I know. You know why? Because I don't always want to do what God wants me to do. How do we walk in good works? By serving in every area. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity tonight to walk in the works that you've prepared for us. Lord, we could spend so long talking about the proofs of love that you have for us. Lord, I praise you. I thank you. I want to worship you tonight for your goodness and your love. As well, Lord, tonight, I want us to walk in those works you have for us. Lord, I believe with all my heart tonight that you have prepared some works for every one of us. And, Lord, a lot of them don't get done. Because you prepared them for us, for no one else. God, would you help us to be surrendered tonight? Help us to walk in them. Help us to surrender to sanctification. Help us to praise you for our redemption. God, may we walk in that love.
that you've proven over and over and over again in scriptures. Lord, would you be glorified tonight during this time of invitation as we set aside some time just to worship you, to praise you, to yield to your purpose. May that be the case. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Remember Colton. Let's sing together. 301. Only trust him. Number 301. you're so good to us Lord we offer our praise and our worship to you for you're worthy of it Lord may we do more than sing your praises may we do more than lift up your name in this place with our brothers and sisters in Christ but may we publish your name among the heathen may we speak of your goodness every day may we be reminded of your love as we tell others of it. And God, may we find those works that you have for us. May we pick it up on our shoulder. And may we walk in that path and that plan that you have made just for us. How wonderful that purpose, that fulfillment. Bless us now, Lord. In your precious name we pray. Amen. We'll turn to Matthew 26. Matthew chapter 26. By the way, I want to just say a word by way of uh, reminder. Uh, if you want to call it advertisement, you can. I just thought tonight how much I missed hearing Brother Cosme playing trumpet tonight. Of course, he's traveling. But it reminded me as well, we've got a lot of empty chairs up here. Now, we don't have a lot of empty chairs back there most of the time. Uh, but we've definitely got some more room uh, if you would like to get involved in our church orchestra, uh, if you play an instrument, say, Pastor, I'd like to 
uh, I'd like to play. By the way, you don't have to be the world's greatest instrument player. Now, the ones we have are the world's greatest, uh, but you don't have to be. And uh, if you'd like to be a part of that, if you talk to Brother Colton, uh, we may already have a book for your instrument. If we do not have a book, we will get an instrument, uh, not an instrument, we'll get a book. And uh, I don't know what kind of books we need. How many of you know how to play the jug? Uh, down, uh, we'll, we'll get a book for you to play the jug, and uh, no, if you if you play a legitimate instrument, Brother Bonnie, a uh, legitimate instrument, and you'd like to be a part of our church orchestra, uh, we'd love to have you be a part. Matthew chapter 26, verse number 26, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it. Break it and gave to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you at my father's kingdom. When they had sung in him, they went out to the Mount of Olives. We find here in this passage our Lord instituting the supper that we remember tonight. It is not the Passover meal. He was met with them to have that meal, but during that meal he instituted something totally different. And I say totally different. The Passover meal was a, a foreshadowing, a picture of the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God that taken away the sin of the world that John preached about in the wilderness. But it was that night we just read the passage where our Lord would institute as he, before he would be arrested by Roman soldiers, before he would be taken and beaten, mocked, before he would be nailed to a tree, before he would die the brutal death of Calvary for you and for me, before he would be taken off of that cross and placed in a borrowed tomb. He would institute the supper we're going to talk about tonight. I want you to pray with me, if you will, by your heads as we ask the Lord to help us. Lord, what a serious and wonderful time. Lord, as I think of the dear saints of God that we just announced a few moments ago that have gone on to glory. Lord, the somberness of that thought, the blessed thought of heaven, and yet the thought of the missing of them in our presence, Lord, reminds me of the somberness of this reminder. Lord, we pause to remember what you did. As we pause to remember that cruel cross, as we pause to remember your broken body, as we pause to remember the blood shed on that hillside 2,000 years ago. And yet, Lord, we also remember the empty tomb. And Lord, we remember that you're coming again. Lord, would you give us serious, a seriousness of mind. Lord, help us to, to the best of our ability, Lord, to remember. To remember what you've done for us. Lord, I pray if there be one here tonight that knows you're not a Savior, God, I pray they would see in this picture that you left us tonight, that they would see salvation that they would see that they can but believe and receive. Lord, that would be the case. Lord, bless us now. In your precious name we pray. Amen.
Would you open your Bibles now with me to 1 Corinthians? As I mentioned this morning, as we talked about the New Testament pattern of giving, we looked in the book of 1 Corinthians, and we go back there tonight, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, a few chapters previous, and I alluded to this this morning that the church in Corinth had struggled. They struggled because of carnality. They struggled that truth got perverted a bit. There were some pretty serious things, and I'm not going to go into those tonight, but there were some pretty serious problems in the church of Corinth. I mean, some real serious problems. And praise the Lord for loving God that Amen. gave the Apostle Paul to send the truth, to correct the problem, not to destroy them, but rather to correct them and to bring them back. One of the problems they had, which I believe was a very serious problem, said, Pastor, how serious was it? It was so serious that God was killing people. That's pretty serious. I believe that's pretty serious. Yes. It was so serious of a problem that God said, there are many people that are you're de they're dead because you've got some things wrong. And we see a reminder here bringing them back in line to what God had planned for this remembrance 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. It says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. And we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come, to, come together to eat, tarry one for another. If any man hunger, let him eat at home, that you may come not together in a condemnation. And the rest I will set in order when I come. There were some problems they had turned, this church at Corinth had turned this remembrance into nothing more than a party. Now, they were doing it. They were doing it wrong. By the way, God is very specific about how he wants to be worshipped. God is very specific about how he wishes to be remembered. Cain could have said to God, but God, I brought an offering. I mean, get over yourself. I mean, I'm giving you what you want. But God said, no. Sin lieth at that door. He gave him a chance to sacrifice, and Cain said, no. You take what I give you. Can I tell you, God's very particular about his worship, and I believe God is very, very, very particular about the remembrance that he established, so much so that he gives us a reminder, as it was given to the church in Corinth, about what it is supposed to be and what is supposed to happen. In this, we learn some things about this supper, about this remembrance. 
And I'm not going to share any new things with you tonight. As a matter of fact, I, I try on purpose uh, to try to be very simple and very succinct when it comes to observing the Lord's Supper. I want to make sure that we don't veer off, that we stay on course, that we have our focuses where they ought to be. But we see in Matthew 26, and you need not turn back there, but I read a moment ago, it says, and they were eating. Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Can I tell you who was there the night that our Lord established this dinner, this remembrance? It, it was not the multitudes. It, it was not on the streets in Jerusalem. It was not outside of uh, the city. It was not on the seashore. Rather, he was gathered with those who believed in him. How ridiculous it would be if you threw a party for someone and you had a birthday party per se, uh, tomorrow and at your birthday party a knock came at the door. Some random stranger off the street said, hey, heard uh, there was a birthday party here. Thought I'd stop in. Well, do you know the person whose birthday party is? No, just heard there was a party. Thought I'd stop in. Uh, you would say, get out of here. We don't want you here. You're not part of the celebration. You don't know this person. Why are you here? And we see here that the, those who partook of that first supper that night were followers and believers in Lord Jesus Christ. It was the disciples. It was saved people. It was people who had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. As we see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this letter, this instructions, if you will, if you'll let me use the same analogy I used this morning, this instruction book is for the local church. It's not for the world. It's not for the lost world. It's for the local church. And we see here this remembrance was for the church, the local church. It was for believers. It was for those who had believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, obedient followers of Christ. Now, verse 26 in our text in 1 Corinthians 11 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. How many of you like cereal? I'll pick on Colton because he's fun to pick on. How many times a week do you have cereal? Honestly, it's like two or three times a month. Two or three times a month. Uh, I have cereal two or three times a year. Uh, how many of you have cereal every day? Any cereal eater? Yeah, I know you. Matter of fact, Brother Maud fed me cereal who are out hunting, probably the most cereal I've had in a year. I... I I just don't eat, I mean, I eat it, but you ask my wife, I, I almost never eat cereal. Now, my wife doesn't eat cereal much. My wife loves cereal. She can eat cereal for supper. She can eat it for lunch. She loves cereal. And Brother Mug could too. But we all have a different time when we eat it. Now, it's okay. I guess you can eat it whenever you want. Now, the question becomes, in this matter of remembrance, when do we remember? How do we remember? Does God have a schedule? There is no schedule. There is no timeline. Now, I believe, and this is riceology. I'm going to step away for a moment. I believe the reason there is no schedule is because if there was, it would become a religion to you. It would be about what you do rather than your relationship with Christ. But rather, the Bible says, as oft. So whenever... What that local church, here speaking to the church in Corinth, tonight, Cornerstone Baptist Church, whenever you decide, as off as ye do this. In other words, 
whenever you decide that you're going to remember. There are some churches that uh, every month or every so often we, we try about four times a year or five times a year to, to remember. It doesn't matter. There's no, well, this church is more spiritual or this church. But whenever we do, whenever we do, there's no particular schedule. Rather, whenever it is, it should be very special. You know, if we, if we, every Sunday, I'm not saying it's sinful to remember every Sunday. There are churches that do, and that's fine, as often as they want to do it. But I think for many of us, it would become just a pretty quick tradition. It would lose a little value to us in our remembrance. But as often as you eat that, verse 24, it says, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is in remembrance of me. Verse 25, after the same manner also we took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament of my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Verse 26, for as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Till he comes. So why is it tonight that as a church we would pause and take an evening for the purpose of partaking of the elements of the Lord's table, the unfermented fruit of the vine, the unleavened bread. Why would we do so? Why would we partake of that? Very plainly, according to Scripture, to show remembrance. To show remembrance of what Christ has done for us. To show remembrance. Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. He said, I want you to remember this. I want you to remember what I've done for you. Broken, that word Jesus used, means given sacrificially, sacrificed. We have the picture in the New Testament of the woman who broke the alabaster box of ointment, a box that could not be put back together. Once it was broken, it was worthless. And poured out that which was inside upon the Lord. And Jesus said, I, I'm going to be broken for you. Broken and poured out. That's exactly what Jesus did for you and I. And we are, why do we partake to remember? To remember that he was broken for us. The Bible says, this cup's the new testament of my blood. This do ye in remembrance of me. In our culture... In just a couple of weeks, we're going to pause on the 11th of November to remember. To remember the end of World War II. To remember those that many who sacrificed their lives in the battle against the tyranny that arose on two fronts. My grandfather, some of you, your grandfathers, some of you, maybe your parents, great-grandfathers were part of those who would go and fight in that battle that we pause next month to remember. And I think it's important. I think it's vital. I think as a culture, we owe a great debt to those people. But I believe it's a greater remembrance, much greater, that we remember what the Lord has done for us. The Bible says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till it come. In other words, Christian... How long are we going to do this until he comes back? I don't know about you, but I think probably one of the best ways 
we could possibly greet the coming of the Lord would be to be partaking of the Lord's table and all of a sudden the skies are open as we go to be in his presence. The Bible tells us that we partake because he wants us, commands us to remember. Now, the question we have answered here, and I mentioned that the church in Corinth had perverted. They had twisted that which was right and that which is holy, and they had tried to make it their own and do their own thing. And they had perverted it. They corrupted it. And God, because of that, had to deal with that corruption and judge them. And we see some pictures here in Scripture in verse 27. It says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord, notice the phrase, unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Verse 29, For he that eateth and drinketh, there's the word again, unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And then verse 30, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. So what happens if I unworthily Partake of this supper, this Lord's table, this remembrance. To take of the Lord's supper wrongly makes us, the Bible says, guilty. Guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. That's a pretty serious offense. In other words, it's just as if I murdered the Lord. As if I took his life. The Bible says to take wrongly is to bring damnation to that observer in verse 29. It says, drink a damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. By the way, damnation does not mean condemnation or condemned to hell. It means to bring judgment upon oneself. The Bible says, uh, be not deceived. God is not mocked whatsoever a man soweth. That shall he also reap. To take wrongly brings certain consequences to the observer. The Bible says, because of this, taking wrongly, uh, many are weak. By the way, that doesn't mean if someone is sick or weakly that, you know, they're a bad Christian. But God says that one of the reasons, one of the things that can happen if you partake wrongly is some sickness, some weakness. The Bible speaks, many shall sleep. Now, I don't think anybody's sleeping tonight. I asked uh, Brother Eric to keep an eye on some folks I was worried about tonight. You don't, yeah, Brother Eric's doing a good job. But uh, I don't think they're sleeping. I don't think any of us are sleeping tonight. But it's not talking about having a nap. It's talking about being dead. I sent a picture yesterday to my, our, my families. We have a, a WhatsApp group chat. How many of you have a WhatsApp group chat with your family? You're missing out if you don't have one of those. Uh, I would invite, if I was you, I would invite Hannah to join your family group chat. It'll make it much more enjoyable. But I, I sent a picture to my, our, my family uh, group chat and a picture I said, Pawpaw, now let me explain that word to you. Pawpaw is a hillbilly word for your grandfather. Uh, I said, Pawpaw is laying him down. And I was a picture in this field, and there's a deer standing in the field. And my family thought that what I was saying was Grandpa's taking a picture of this deer, and he's going to hunt it sometime soon. But they did not understand that there were two pictures, two deer, in the one picture I sent, one deer was standing up, looking around. That's the deer they saw. But if you looked a little closer in the picture, laying in the edge of the field, and I say laying because you could see the white of its belly, was a deer that was sleeping. 
biblically sleeping like it's talking about here. It was dead. Graveyard dead. Uh, Dad just shot it last night and sent me a picture. Now, the Bible says that those that take wrongly, God has had to take some of them home. Literally taking them out of this world. That's how serious God is about us remembering appropriately and scripturally what he's done for us. We're talking about something I, I hope you understand tonight, something very serious, something that is very serious to God. Those of you that have been with me have probably heard me say this at some point, but some people will ask me the question. They've asked you the question. Uh, they asked Brother Krim, how do you take your coffee? He'd say, I don't. Uh, he hasn't grown up yet. You'd be praying for Brother Krim. One day he's going to grow up and drink coffee. But if they ask uh, Brother Joe how he takes his coffee, uh, lots of cream, lots of sugar, and lots of coffee all together. Uh, they ask me how I take my coffee. My normal answer is very seriously. I take it very seriously. Can I tell you that God takes very seriously this matter of us remembering? And tonight, in just a little while, we're going to pause to do that very thing. But before we do, I want us to see the, the seriousness of how God shows in 1 Corinthians what that is. So how would I, how would you take wrongly, unworthily of the Lord's table and do something that would not please the Lord in the matter of partaking of this remembrance. Number one, secret sin. By the way, there's no secrets from God. You're not hiding anything from Him. He, he knows everything, but we try to hide it from everyone else. And we think, oh, how silly to think that God doesn't know. That sin that we want to hang on to. We don't want to let go of that sin that we say to God, God, I, I love you, but I love this sin a little more than I love you. Now, by the way, your decisions in life do not affect your salvation once you trust him. The fact is that once you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, your salvation is 100% dependent upon what Jesus did, not anything you did. You can't add anything to it, you can't fix it, and you can't break it. But God will deal with those who are his children. And when we refuse to deal with sin, there comes a point when God may say, you know what? You're better off in heaven. That's right. You're better off in heaven rather than causing a harm to my name and to my testimony down here. The Bible tells us in verse 28, but let a man examine himself. By the way, in the reminder to the church at Corinth, God did not tell Paul, Paul, you tell them that the church will examine every person. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say let, uh, let the elders of the church. It doesn't say let the pastor of the church. By the way, it also doesn't say let the spouse, or let the children, or let the parents. It says, let every man or woman examine themselves. So how do I prepare to partake rightly in just a few moments of the Lord's table? The Bible says that we are to examine ourselves. I'm not to think, I wonder what sin Brother Mark has back there. Well, he's probably got a bunch of them. Uh, I can, you can just tell by looking at him. Just look back there. No, that's not my job. By the way, if I wanted to know, I'd just ask Angelica. She'd tell me all of them. 
Well, I don't have time tonight. Maybe next week. But our job is to examine ourselves. Ourself. But let a man examine himself. Search our heart. Ask the Holy Spirit. Can I help you with something? Say, Pastor, I, I just don't know if I have any unconfessed sin. I just don't know if there's anything in my life that ought not be that way. Can I tell you a foolproof way to find out? Just say, Holy Spirit, would you convict me of any sin in my life? Can I tell you? You'll fall on it that quick. It won't take any time at all. But we don't want to do that. Why? Because we, we like hanging on to that rebellion against God. But may we search ourselves. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we have, a, we have an option tonight, an opportunity, I should say, to examine our heart because every Christian, by the way, if you're a Christian and I say, Pastor, I, I just don't want to partake in the Lord's table, if there's not a desire in your heart to partake and honor the Lord, there's a serious spiritual problem in your life, a serious brokenness in your relationship with God. If you don't want to honor the Lord, that's a real problem. Because we ought to have a desire to honor him in all things. Especially when he commands us to remember. So because there is a desire for us to want to honor the Lord and remember the Lord, how wonderful it is that we can examine our hearts and say, Lord, I, I want to honor you. I want to remember correctly. I want to be pleasing in your sight. I, I want to make sure that my heart is right with you, that my life is right with you. We're not talking about making sure you're saved, although tonight, uh, as I mentioned, someone slipping into a party that knows not the person being celebrated makes no sense. It would also make no sense for a lost person to partake of a remembrance for a Savior that they do not know. It would make no sense for someone to partake of a remembrance for a Savior that they do not want to obey, living in direct rebellion. Now, the Bible says, let a man examine himself. And I praise the Lord that God gives us his word, gives us promise. That word confess that we see in 1 John 1, 9 means we confess our sins. It doesn't mean we're asking God for forgiveness. I, I don't ever have to ask God for forgiveness. How many of you knew that? Never. Never. So, Pastor, what kind of, what kind of crazy doctrine are you talking about? I don't ever have to ask as a child of God. I don't ever have to ask God to forgive me. Why? I've been forgiven. What I, what I am commanded to do, I am commanded to confess. There's a difference. Not, oh, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. I did it again. No. No word scripture. But I am commanded to confess, Lord. I sinned against you. I, I'm already forgiven. I don't have to wonder. I wonder if God will forgive me. I'm already forgiven. But God wants me to agree with him about my sin. God wants me to confess it. By the way, not just to say, yep, Lord, I did it. It's kind of like the guy that was speeding. He got pulled over back in, I think it was 60s or 70s years ago. State trooper pulled him over. said, do you know why I pulled you over? He said, yeah, I was speeding. He said, I'm in a hurry. He said, well, sir, it's against the law to speed in this county. He said, That's a, it's a $25 ticket. Now, granted, this is many years ago. He said, it costs $25 uh, fine for speeding. And the guy reached in his wallet, 
pulled out a $50 bill and handed it to the police officer. And he said, sir, I told you it's just $25. He said, I know, but I'm coming back this way in about 15 minutes. <laughs> it's not going to God and say, yeah, God, I sinned. I'm going to do it again tomorrow too. No, it's agreeing with God about how it grieves him. How our sin affects our relationship with God, not our position with God. But confessing. By the way, don't play games with God. Don't treat God in a nonchalant way. Don't flippantly take your walk with Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.31 says, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. To judge ourselves, as I mentioned, means to confess and deal with our sin. If we do not judge ourselves, then God will. It says in verse 32, But when we are judged, we are chastened the Lord that we should not be condemned with the, the, the world. We are to prepare ourselves, examine ourselves. In just a few moments, we're going to do exactly, exactly as the disciples did that night before they would go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Exactly as they would do before they would see Jesus taken by the soldiers. We're going to partake tonight of that remembrance our Lord instituted that night in that upper room. Just as God commanded the church at Corinth to do so. But before we do that tonight, we're going to take a few moments. An opportunity for every person to examine yourself. By the way, in a little while when we pass out the elements of the supper, we're not going to say, hey, no, you don't take this, you don't take it. Hey, you, no, no, okay, yes, no, no. The Bible says that every man examine himself. Right. Amen. And I want tonight, I want us to have a desire to honor the Lord Jesus Christ, to remember him. I want it to be something that we have a great heart's desire to bring glory to God. And I want us to take time in a very serious way to examine our hearts. And to say to our God in prayer, God, I want to please you. I want to honor you. I want to remember exactly the way. You desire me to remember what you've done for me. And God, I want to I make sure my relationship's right. I want to make sure the decisions of my life. I want to make sure that I'm in obedience to you, that I'm not in rebellion to you. Well, let's take some time tonight. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me tonight? We'll take a moment, a few moments to examine yourself, and I'll, I'll close this out in prayer at the end. But take some time tonight to examine your own heart, your own life. Lord, help us tonight as we desire to honor you. 
to remember what you've done. Lord, there's no way that we could ever say thank you enough. And Lord, you don't ask us to do so. But you ask us to remember. Lord, there's no way that we could ever pay you back for what you've done. And Lord, we are never asked to do so. But you ask us to remember. Lord, everything that I have, everything that, every good gift that I have is from you. My salvation, 100% from you. There's nothing that I possess of goodness that I brought to the table, Lord. It's all yours. Lord, tonight, I, the best way we can, Lord, would you help us to remember? Help us to remember that cruel cross. Help us to remember that cat of nine tails. Help us to remember that crown of thorns. Help us to remember those yells and shouts of crucify him. Help us to remember the anger of the mob. Help us to see the brokenness that came upon you because of our sin. Help us, Lord, to remember your perfect sinless blood that flowed down that cross on Calvary's hill 2,000 years ago that sinless blood, that pure, holy blood, the blood of the Lamb that was shed to cover my sin, to make me white as snow. God, help us to remember. You're worthy of our remembrance. Lord, as a church, as we remember you tonight, God, help us to honor you. May you be glorified. May you be lifted up. We praise you, we worship you, we thank you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. We see in Scripture, the Bible says that the same night in which he was betrayed, in verse 23, he took bread. That bread that the Lord took was unleavened bread. Leaven in Scripture, a picture of sin. Unleavened, a picture of his sinless body. The Bible says that he took bread tonight. We're going to partake of unleavened bread. Just simple bread. By the way, all this will ever be is bread. But it's a picture, it's a remembrance of much more. It's a remembrance of that body that was broken for you and for me. That body on Calvary that will be abused and broken for you for our salvation. But the Bible tells us there that he took bread and that he prayed. I'm going to ask a couple of our men. Brother Bonnie, can I get you and Brother Eric to help me with the bread tonight? And Brother Eric, would you mind coming to the pulpit? Brother Bonnie, if you want to come up as well. Before we pass out the bread. I'm going to ask Brother Eric if you come to the pulpit and lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving for that broken body of our Lord. Great. Father in heaven, thank you so much, Lord, for this wonderful time that we can gather together and remember and partake this bread, O Lord, and remember what you have done for us 2,000 years ago. Thank you, Father, for that body that was broken and scourged, O Lord, and was beaten for us, Father. 
thank you that you bear all those pain, Father. Lord, tonight, as you show your love to us and we remember this time of God, what you have done for us 2,000 years ago, we pray that you bless this time, O oh Lord, as we partake of this bread. May everything we do, Father, we give honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to ask the men to go down and pass the trays. If you would, if you'd take a piece of bread, if you're going to partake, and hold on to it, and we'll all partake at the end. you just for a second take a look there at that piece of bread nothing more than that just a piece of unleavened bread but a picture a reminder would you be reminded of the body of our Lord that came for the purpose of being beaten the Bible says it pleased the Lord by his stripes we are healed and as you partake this evening would you remember that body broken for you may partake of the bread this evening. It says in verse 25, it says, and after the same manner also, 
He took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament of my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. In just a moment, we're going to pass out the cup. Unfermented fruit of the vine. Unfermented, because fermentation, a picture of sin, our Lord's blood was perfect, sinless blood. Untainted by sin. Grape juice, but a picture of so much more. A reminder of so, so, so much more. I'm going to ask Brother Will, would you mind giving me a hand? And Brother Colton, would you guys come forward? Brother Will is one of our newest church members. And uh, appreciate Brother Will, God working in Brother Will's life. And appreciate Brother Colton. I'm going to ask him to come and help with that. I'm going to ask Brother Colton. Before we pass them out, you guys can, uh, to go ahead and uh, lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving for the blood of our Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for uh, how he died on the cross, Lord, in our place. Lord, that blood that was shed was uh, supposed to be mine. Lord, I should have spent eternity in hell separated from you because of my sin, but Lord, you've offered us a way uh, to be uh, with you for eternity, Lord, because of that blood. Lord, thank you, Lord. And Lord, we pray as we remember this, Lord, that we would uh, honor you in our lives, Lord. Lord, thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just like with the bread, if you would, as they pass it, if you take, if you'd like to partake, and hold on to the cup, and we'll all partake together at the end.
Can you take just a moment and look at that juice? Nothing more, just grape juice. The picture so much more. It is that precious blood. Remembrance of the blood that Jesus shed. Can I tell you that the gospel is not a, a cute little story. The gospel is God's story of love covered in the precious blood of Christ. It was that blood that began to be shed as he was beaten. The blood that would flow down that cross, the blood that would be poured out for you. The final blood as a soldier would take the spear and pierce his side and blood and water would pour forth. And that same blood, dear friend, that covered the wickedness and the perverseness of my sin and yours. May we remember that precious blood, that perfect blood, that spotless blood, the blood of the Lamb of God that took away my sin and yours as we partake. You may now partake of the juice this evening. The Bible tells us in the Gospels that after they partook, after the Lord instituted that supper, that they sang a hymn. I'm going to ask you to grab a song book with me and uh, turn to song 336. Most of you know the song. We, won't, we don't need a piano player. We'll sing, as my preacher used to say, we'll sing acapoco. Uh, or what's that other word, the real word? Uh, I don't know. We'll sing without music. That's the, that's the word I'm looking for. But hillbillies, we don't know that word. Uh, but would you sing with me? We'll sing the first and last verses together. Let's stand together. And as you sing this song, would you remember and thank the Lord, by the way, it is the amazing grace of God that Jesus would come and die in our place. And that he would not only die, but he would raise again. There is an empty tomb. There is no place you can go and see the Lord's body. He's in heaven. But let's sing together the first and the last verses of Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found, was blind, but now I see. When we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun, we've no Be dismissed. God bless you.